This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So I was listening yesterday, Arlene Biden had Tom Dingwall on, and he ran for mayor of Clarington. Um, he didn't win, but he brought some quite interesting ideas. He ran in 2022. Was a 30-year police officer. And I was listening to him talk with Arlene. It was a really interesting conversation. I know that a conversation draws me in when I'm sitting in an empty, not an empty parking lot, but I'm sitting in a parking lot and I'm supposed to do something. I'm supposed to go into a shopper's drug mart and get orange juice and mouthwash. Um, what? I don't have bad breath. You have bad breath. Anyway, I was supposed to get a bunch of stuff in there, and, uh, and but I'm sitting listening. And I, the, the concept of the conversation was reacting to the fact that there has been a rise of violence by people released on bail, and we've lost police officers in the process. We obviously have had we had two murders in Edmonton three or four weeks ago. We had a murder of uh, a police officer in the province of Quebec just a week and a half ago. We had a run in the fall here in the GTA where there was a criminal that that uh, that shot somebody at Tim Hortons. Terrible, terrible story, um, which wasn't even a confrontation. He just walked up to the police officer and and shot him dead with one bullet. And then there was a there was a chase. There was another person killed. Um, and there's obviously been the chaos in Caledon with two officers. You can imagine. Um, so I get it's a different feeling right now. It's a different feeling right now for police officers. And um, they've very much been under siege. Now, there's two things from from some elements of the public. And I say this and I mean it. We need law enforcement and we need them to fit in and have some synergy with, first of all, the rest of us and politicians. I've never had a real bad experience with a police officer. Some people have. What I know is two things. Two things need to elevate themselves. One is police have to do a better job of disciplining, investigating, and subsequently, if found guilty, punishing their own. They must do a better job of this. They must be more transparent about this process. I don't know if it could be that we would ever get the knowledge of of, investig- of internal investigations and SIU investigations. But it would be more helpful. Surely they would understand that their reputation for being more opaque and transparent would elevate in the community and the community would see that. And by the way, the concept of bad apples, it would weed them out. It would weed them out. And and you could make the case, well, these are bad apples. We're getting rid of them. So you can't make the case that that problems are as systemic as they used to be. Problems of being too violent, problems of racism, problems of discrimination, problems of sexism. Okay, all these all these isms are problems. There's no I'm not just listing stuff up because I think it's it makes me sound uh, caring. These are problems in the law enforcement industry and law enforcement officers will tell you that. But I when I see that the chiefs of police want an urgent meeting with the premiers to talk about bail reform and these recent killings, I get it. Now, probably I'm not saying that that effort is misguided. They need to meet with the federal government because it's going to be all the heat that the premier has put on David Lametti, the justice minister, to do these things. And you've heard this has just been something the conservative government's been eating up, eating up. They're like Pac-Man with those little little dots. And then later, the ghosts, when they after you eat the big dots. Anyway, they are eating it up. The uh, conservative party of Canada is that's for sure. Because they're able to go, this thing should be happening, and that shouldn't be be happening. And they're right about all those things. Tom Dingwall said we've got too many people out there with no fear of consequences. They're more dangerous because we have a society that is less fearful of consequence because, quite frankly, the consequences aren't there when they do commit a crime. And we have more firearms on the street because 
um, we haven't had the resources and to invest in making sure that uh, the funds are being directly targeted where they need to be. More on him later. But yeah, the premiers have already called on the federal government. Give us a reverse onus system for certain offenses that make the person put the onus on the person seeking bail to explain why you shouldn't remain behind bars. The onus shouldn't be on the prosecutor to say this is why the person should. The reverse onus changes that around. It doesn't change sentencing. It doesn't change our criminal structure or our sentencing structure when you're guilty of violent crimes. They're going to put this all on the doorstep of Justice Minister David Lametti, but he knows the job when he signed up for it. So we'll see where this goes. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Let me get to this. So yesterday at Queen's Park, um, Kristen Wong Tam, the uh, former city councillor, very influential councillor, and uh, now a member of the Ontario NDP legislature, um, says that the government, the uh, provincial government, has to create community safety zones to protect uh, LGBT communities from harassment, intimidation. Drag artists are performing uh, at now there's there's things that are true about this and things that aren't. This is this can be exhausting. I'm going to go slow and I'm going to talk about the politics of this and also what I think the importance of the, of the issues are. I think that's it's a serious topic. There's no question about it. So um, drag artists are performing at some Toronto public libraries. I what is not happening is drag artists aren't going into schools and performing at elementary schools. Not to my knowledge anyway. They're at malls. They're, um, I had a, somebody tell me there was one at Masonville, a performance at Masonville Mall uh, over the weekend or, or early last week. Um, this is what I'd say. You don't have to go. You don't have to go. But I also understand the concept for Wong Tam is it's bringing out hateful people. It's bringing out, um, it's bringing out people who are aiming to intimidate or harass. I think we could concur. I think we could all get on into a little tent, big tent, and agree that what was happening at Oakville Trafalgar with the teacher brought out people legitimately saying, what's going on? This looks like a bit of a, a circus. Uh, should this person be teaching, wearing these prosthetics, this, that, and the other thing? But it also brought out hateful people. It, it did both those things. And you don't have to... You know, you don't have to come out in protest and say, this is what I want for my kids and it's taxpayer dollars and all that stuff. You have a right to do that. So if you show up and say, I'm not sure these should be in libraries, I don't think that's hateful or discriminatory one bit. This is an important conversation. We need to protect everybody from threats, violence, hateful speech. But if you're protesting, you, that automatically does not make you homophobia or transphobia that does or transphobic. That does not. What I worry about in our society now is we're constantly looking at what we say and who says it seems to mean more than what is said. When did that happen and how do we go back? Well, I am this. So I get this opinion. No, no, no. Opinions are either opinions, by the way, are not like facts. They're not either right or wrong. They're your opinion. Are there lines that get crossed? Absolutely. You'd remember from the 80s, I always reference him, Ernst Zundel walking around with a construction hat saying the Holocaust didn't happen. And he eventually got imprisoned and convicted of a crime for continuing to do that over and over again. That's not a political opinion. That's hate speech. That, again, everybody's going to have a different line about that and a different line that says, well, this crosses it for me. 
Here's what Kristen Wong Tam said yesterday at the legislature. They have been asking and calling for action from this government now for months. They are asking for help. Their shows are being targeted. Their audience is being discriminated against, as well as harassment being targeted at the, at the venues, the business that are hosting these events. Because there has been no action and no real response from the government, we're putting together a, table, a, a private member's bill that will specifically address the hatred targeting the 2S LGBTQI community in Ontario. I need to know, and we all need to know today, will you be working with us to make sure that this bill becomes law to protect that community, protect this community? So I'm going to talk about the political risk-reward of, of this, because I think it's intriguing just from a politics perspective. But let me address what Wong Tam says. Yes, threaten a performer, no good. No good. And of course, the law should be there. Same as anything. If someone is screaming at a male or female exotic dancer heading into their workplace, and that happens, by the way. If someone is is harassing a uh, a sex worker, an escort, female, male, otherwise, absolutely. Let's get in and make sure that person is protected. But it is not hateful for parents to show up and say, hmm, I'm not sure drag shows should happen in public libraries. But that's not hateful. That's not homophobic. That's not transphobic. They get an opinion. They can opine they'd never want performances, readings, whatever in their elementary schools. They get to say that without being cast as uh, hateful cretins. Any parent would like to know more. How sexual are the shows at libraries? We ask these questions about movies and TV all the time. How many times have you gone to a movie and you're like, oh my gosh, a parent brought a seven-year-old to the hangover. Okay, our parents sure ask those questions. You're going to see a movie. What are you seeing? Are you sneaking in? Is some older brother? We ask those questions all the time. You find a Playboy in your 12 year old's uh, drawer. Like we we go through these issues at a parenting level, and it doesn't make you hateful. Showing up with a sign and saying I'm not sure this should be here is different than saying I'm going to kill you. I'm going to get you. You should burn in hell. You should do this. By the way, many of the protesters are being told they should burn in hell. I don't want anybody to burn in hell, and I don't think you should ever yell at anybody to burn in hell. Hate's a pretty terrible thing. You know what else is? Accusing someone of hate that isn't hating. It's also kind of terrible. That's the worst thing. You can almost short of anything else. That's the worst thing you can accuse somebody of doing. Now, I got a minute here for the politics. Let me lay this out because this story won't go away. This is a big gamble by the NDP. If the Tories reject the private members bill, does it all kick off? Does the NDP want to call out the Tories on this issue as loud as any other? Does the NDP call out the Ford government and say, you're homophobic, you're transphobic? Does the Ford government get labeled as that? Whoa, not what I was expecting in the first four or five months of Marit Stiles' NDP run here. We have to protect performers. We have to protect people's safety. We can have hate speech. But parents saying, not sure these should be here, is not hateful. It is not. I will not have that. I want this conversation. I welcome it. I absolutely do. I think hate is really easy to spot. I know it when I see it. I know there's people that are going to show up at these things looking to exploit it with dangerous discriminatory comments and insults. I know it. And you're asking the cops to do a lot here. That Kristen Wong Tam's got a big ask of law enforcement. But shutting down all levels of protest? I don't see it. I don't see it. It's a public place. Public dollars fund those facilities. And if the concept is, well, this is the next bridge to to, you know, allowing drag performers in schools, I'm just telling you, my kids aren't in elementary school anymore. I'm telling you, you're going to hear from parents. 
Okay, that's how it's going to go. And let me make this point. People might be afraid to talk about things. I'm not. I, I, I absolutely want to talk about these things because I want us to get better. I want us to have tolerance and understanding of differences in our society. But I'm telling you this. Even if some people are afraid to say stuff, they ain't afraid to vote. They ain't afraid to vote. So, do, again, do you want to look good or do you want to win elections? Which do you want to do? Because sometimes only one of those two things is going to happen for you. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder what we're allowed to talk about and what we're not in the media. When I read this headline here, you saw everybody saw the news about Jeremy Hansen, London, Ontario. He's going into space. He'll orbit the moon. He's going with three Americans. It's fantastic. Here's the headline from a CP staff, like Canadian press chief, a pretty, you know, you're supposed to be objective, just the facts, ma'am. A square-jawed fighter pilot from southwestern Ontario donned the mantle of Canada's newest space hero. My- I saw that square, square jaw. What, what, what if he had a round jaw? They're not wrong. What? No. Speaking he's, of, he's speaking hot. of things you find attractive. He's hot. Jaw. Yeah, he is very attractive. We're sending a hot Mark Garneau. Apologies. This guy's hotter than Mark Garneau was in the 80s. There's no question about it. He looks like Buzz Lightyear. Right. He does. Yeah, he's got that thing. Now, if he did the to infinity and beyond, is that too corny or kitschy if he actually doesn't? Own it. So he's not going to like this. Colonel Jeremy Hansen, a CF-18 pilot from London, Ontario, is not going to like my in and out. We're going to go, are you in or out on space travel, being interested in it, supporting it? Now, I'm going to tell you what we spend on it in Canada in just a couple minutes. I hate to say this. It doesn't interest me. I'm a Star Wars kid. I'm a I'm a Star Wars fanboy. You, I'll watch all that stuff on Disney. I don't know what this does for me. I'm kind of out on the process of it. What, Shiva? I'm absolutely in on this. I think it's it's an education. It's learning about where we live, our universe, our solar system. I think it's so important. And yeah, I get Elon Musk has sort of tainted it. <laughs> I get that. But I'm absolutely in on this. But you're also the, the guy... Jawed, the square-jawed Elon Musk? Yeah. You're also the guy <laughs> who went to Paris and did not go see the Eiffel you're Tower. You're right about that. So, so I, I feel like you just don't take an interest in, in much out there. At that I haven't point. seen Forrest Gump or... Uh, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I haven't been to the Eiffel Tower. Gord, in or out on space travel? Our text line, 416-870-6400 if you're in or out on this. I'm so in. We need to go to space. We're ruining this planet. We have a guy that could just press one button and we're all done at any given moment now. But I can't make a bet with you two that we will never, ever, ever colonize or live on another planet. Because we'll be, you'll be like, see, we still might. We'll be all be on our deathbeds, and I won't be able to prove that we'll never, ever, ever be able to live somewhere else. Now, I wouldn't have predicted the internet or yeah. um, air travel or even space travel. If I'm sitting there in the 1850s going, you know what, um, let, let's stop uh, uh, you know, feeding the hogs for a minute. And, uh, and, and and let's start talking about whether we'll ever go to space. I'd have won that bet. I'd have lost that bet because I would have said we'll never do this. Yeah, but I mean, I also would have thought that we'd be far more advanced than first time going around the moon since, what, 72? That's a long we time. We kind of got bored with the moon or something. Well, there was no race. There was <laughs> nothing to conquer. There's nothing there. We yeah. saw a bunch of guys, like a bunch of American guys went up there. They hit a golf ball around. They planted a flag. There's a car up there. It was a key element of Superman 2. 
Yes. With the villains, right? With yes. Zod. Yes, indeed. Neil before Zod. Let Here- us know. 416-870-6400. Are you in or out on space travel and learning about space? Here's one text we got in. I'm in because he is way too handsome, He's a handsome not to man. be. He's a very handsome guy. <laughs> we Canada spends in 23-24 a planned uh, space expenditure. $309.3 million. Are we getting $309 million of value? We got could that money for one go? Guy, one guy's going around the moon. We could send every Canadian 10 bucks. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I've often had these conversations with friends of mine um, about aging and aging in Ontario. And you're like, well, I know we need to change some things. I think we're finally... Uh, getting there maybe we all want to get to the same place we have different philosophies about how to get there sometimes you got to drown out the noise of all the politicians because they're playing politics sometimes with what they want to do with health care but these numbers are concerning in terms of we're going to be an aging population and right now the burden of poverty is mostly faced by older women all the data says so all the concern is certainly there and uh, women are women live longer than men they're most likely to be isolated they are less likely um, to marry a second time if that makes sense um, because men will marry so men will marry somebody younger that is the demographic that's what the data tells us so um, joining us to discuss some of these issues Laura Tamblin Watts CEO of can age it's great to have you on you're always a, a great ally for our station and we love uh, picking your brain on issues like this I was really disturbed Laura by by some of the the numbers and um and i don't doubt there's there's women reading this going oh i don't want that to be me in 10 15 years really concerning data it's really concerning just to give you a sense of how big what we call the gender pension gap between men and women canadian women are 22 percent more likely to live in poverty than men mm-hmm. And when we think about the impact of that, it means that older women are not able necessarily to get housing, they're not able to get medications, they're not able to get sort of social interactions. So we're really talking about very low income. And people know this, your retirement income, your Canada pension plan um, factors in based on how much you worked, how many years you worked. So when women make the decision or, uh, you know, I'll say this, unfortunately, sometimes have the decision made for them. You're giving up your career to raise our kids. Sometimes it's a choice and a wonderful choice, but they end up with a smaller pension at the end of the day. Like there's no equalization process at the end of the rainbow here. No, we still have a very gendered system when it comes to these things. And remember also that this is both private pension and public pension. So that's things like CPP that you're saying. But also when it comes to the ability to stay in a job longer and get a private pension, which is really one of those gold standards to stay out of poverty, women, of course, have a much, much more significant gap in that as well. So the combination of those two things really mean that older women are far more fragile financially. So what I see, um, and I wonder if, if you see brighter days ahead in terms of closing the gap, The we talked about it yesterday on uh, when it came to a gender pay gap, 
improvements are being made. We're getting to a better place. More men are taking time off to raise kids than ever before. I don't know if we ever get to a a 50-50 link, but I bring up the fact that we've got an aging population. We're having less kids, less people working, supporting more older people. So, Laura, even if we close that gap somewhat, we've got a problem on our hands, don't we, with with an older population, more older people and less people paying into the system. Women overwhelmingly are caregivers, and whether it's caregivers for children or caregivers for older people, that time out of work comes to women first. We saw this happen during the pandemic. And, you know, one of the things that we say right now is, oh, it can't possibly still happen. Well, we saw women overwhelmingly having to drop out of paid work or losing work because they were in lower paid jobs to begin with, often more frontline jobs rather than back office. And let's not forget, women are still making much less than men. So you have less money to put away across your life course if you're trying to save up in things like TFSAs or RESPs. I shared this article with somebody in the star you're quoted in. And I shared this article with somebody who does couples mediation. And the thing they said to me is, let's not also forget divorce factors. in. like, if you can't make a marriage work, you might think, OK, are, are courts more? Is it more beneficial to? Have your kids more often? Sure it is. It often ends up being more expensive. If you're chasing an ex-husband down for money or you're just carrying costs and you're like, I'm not going to bother him with that. I'll just pay for it myself. It ends up being a costly process to raise kids for two, you know, the lesser part of two decades on your own. You're going to have less at the end of the day also, and, and you may not be able to thrive in your career. Thus, you're paying more out of pocket and getting less back from your pension plan. So it's a double-edged sword. It is absolutely a double-edged and now when we're looking at what we call and it's a terrible title kind of that burden of caregiving mm-hmm. very soon women will be one person taking care of four people and that means older or younger people and it's just going to be that much more difficult for people as we're pinching in that age demographic for folks in Gen X generations even to get out of this as well so The other piece I wanted to say was Mm -hmm. it is absolutely single women who have never been married who do better. The moment women are either married or divorced or are widowed, they tend to be more fragile in terms of financial planning because they're in and out of the financial system in terms of paid work far more in a fragmented fashion. It's interesting you say that. We've had um, Amy Kaufman on the show, and she lives in Montreal, and and she was in a very public um, uh, spousal abuse case in which her husband was was put in jail. But she made the point. uh, She works with survivors of domestic violence now, Laura. And no matter what the scenario is, she said... Every woman have have either your own money or just have some say in it. Have some have some hands in the pot a little bit so that if somehow you're on your own suddenly or gradually, you, you also know how to manage money. It's not a criticism of those that don't, but it's a great lesson saying you better know how to do some of these things because you can make mistakes with money really fast if you don't know that as an adult. It's incredibly important to make sure that financial literacy for women is taught across mm-hmm. the life course, including at schools. We finally have some financial literacy being taught in high school in grade 10 in Ontario, but we don't ever do it again. And frankly, you know, grade 10 is great, but many people don't have any money to think about at that point. We need yeah. to make sure that people understand that gender reality 
through it because they're going to have to make some different decisions as people age. I only got a minute here, but I know that um, uh, some things happen in long-term care homes that ended on April 1st. Um, my father was in a long-term care home until he passed. My father-in-law was in a long-term care home until he passed away in August. And I know things are different now. So I knew the process of testing and masks and whatnot. My understanding is testing has stopped a masks indoor remain. Are you happy w- with some of the changes? Are we in a better place for people that want to see their loved ones and, and don't want to climb over barriers to get there? It's a mixed bag. I think it's okay. important for people to have more unrestricted visits, particularly people in long-term care usually live an average of 18 months. So quality of life is really important, but it doesn't mean we can just turn away. We still have many, many outbreaks of COVID in long-term care. So we need to balance that. Laura, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, and that, that article uh, really resonated with me. I sent it to a lot of people and got a lot of response. So thanks for doing what you do and, and being such an advocate. Thank you. You bet. Laura Tamlin Watts joining us, CEO of CanAge. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's big times in Brampton right now. I think we'll start with the fun stuff and get into a, a lot of the meaty issues, but this is great uh, for the city of Brampton today. The uh, IIHF Women's World Hockey Championship starts. The big final, the gold medal game, is a week from this coming Sunday, but it's all through Easter weekend. Team USA plays today at 3. Canada plays tonight at 7. And uh, I don't doubt he'll be at a game or two. He's a big hockey fan, but this is awesome for uh, the community as well. Patrick Brown, Mayor of Brampton, joins us. What, it, you must have woke up. Different field today. It's one of the biggest things to ever happen in Brampton and, and I'm thrilled the residents must be so excited yeah it's a real honor for the city to have a tournament that is this prestigious you know people will be watching it around the world um, and I'm proud it's in it's in Brampton you know we have a, a pretty impressive women's hockey history um, Hazel McCallion um, was involved in getting women's hockey into the Olympics and she was very involved with our local hockey organization the candidates which actually actually hosts the largest girls hockey tournament um, in North America um, every year in Brampton. We've had icons like uh, Cassie Campbell come out of uh, um, Brampton. So it's going to be a celebration of women's hockey in our city uh, as we uh, watch this tournament and hopefully cheer Canada on to uh, uh, to to gold. Yeah, ticket sales look amazing. First game's at 11 a.m. today, uh, so no question. Uh, Easter weekend, four-day weekend, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of kids out, uh, not just uh, girls who play and their parents, but uh, the quality of play. You know, Patrick, you watch the sport, so the la- last thing on this, it's elevated so much. Of course, it was Canada and the USA leading the way, but so many other countries have gotten so much better because it's like women's soccer. It takes time to put infrastructure into these programs at the professional level, and they've done it. Yeah, it's um, you got some really competitive teams. Uh, I still think Canada is the is the is the team to beat, uh, but uh, um, you know it, it, we're going to have that uh, home home team effect with uh, hopefully crowds uh, in the stands every day uh, cheering on um, our national team. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's special, and one of the neat things is you know um, the way it's set up is the Canadian team is going to be involved in the community. They're going to be doing some support for the local. Um, girls hockey organization so it's going to be a real treat for the next uh, for the next two weeks i don't know uh, people can go to ticketmaster.ca find out about tickets uh to go to brampton and uh at the caa center and see these games and natalie spooner four months four months removed from having uh, a child is going to be on the ice for canada uh today um you and i don't have to have babies you're a parent of young kids i was at one point um, I couldn't do anything properly after four months. So it makes Natalie Spooner a superhero to be on the ice today, four months yeah. after having her first child. Incredible. Yeah. 
It absolutely is. All right. Um, we saw Steve Clark yesterday um, it, from the provincial government um, talk about housing starts. And I wanted to get a feel for you and, and where you're at. I know the people know the issues here with municipalities and, and the developers and, and some of the, you know, the housing starts there. There's there's very ambitious goals for not just the, the federal government, but for the province to say we need all these houses being built since that since that was sort of laid out, where is it at in your community? Are, are, are we at a good pace? Is there, is there demand for new places? What's the story? So a lot of mayors around the province have sort of taken the position to criticize the province for um, the changes. And, and they have been sweeping changes, everything from development charges to um, conservation to heritage. I, you know, I come from a different perspective. Um, you know, sure, I want to make municipalities made whole in terms of some of the amenities we have to build. Um, and that's an important component of this from parks to fire stations. But the starting point for this is that we have a crisis in Canada, um, that a young person can't afford a home, that it is in that Canadian dream is now out of reach. Uh, you compare housing prices in Canada right now, you even look at the U.S. and there's a, a stark contrast. And part of that is the, the lack of competition. You know, I saw a presentation at a conference where it showed just to meet the demands of immigration, we have to build 1.5 million houses in Ontario in the next 10 years. And that, that doesn't even include, you know, population growth of, for, for young people that are, you know, of the age that they want to buy their own home. And so we do need more competition in, in the market. Uh, we're certainly not going to hit the numbers the province wants Right now, it's, it's going to take time to, to build that capacity. If we hit our best numbers ever, um, then we're only going to be halfway towards the goal. Mm. And so the provincial targets are ambitious. I've signed on to them. I talk to Steve Clark regularly. He's trying to help. He's trying to be collaborative. There are some challenges we have to work out. Um, one of them is servicing. Uh, right now, we don't have the servicing capacity. We don't even have the skilled labor to build the servicing capacity. I've heard that a lot. The trades yeah. are still, this is why the province pushes the trades. It's why probably any provincial government would be pushing the trades. I've heard this out of London. Um, I've heard this out of Kitchener. There just aren't enough workers. Yeah. There just aren't enough people to do the work. And and you need servicing to build subdivisions. And so that, mm. that's something we need to work out. It's uh, um, and, and the province is working on it. But, you know, I'm taking this as, um, as a, a challenge, a problem that we're trying to work on collaboratively. Uh, there's no point of everyone, you know, the province and cities attacking each other. We just got to find a solution so that we're not in the same frustrating position in 10 years where, you know, people look at the housing market and say, it's not even possible. So, yeah, uh, we have Mike Moffat on a lot who, who writes about uh, a lot of the, dem- the demographics and the data. And he posed this question yesterday. Let me throw it to you. If the province isn't going to commit to their own target because of factors out of their control, are they still going to impose targets on 29 mu- municipalities? Do you feel pressure as a mayor and does city council feel pressure to, to, to meet the quota, to meet the target? So Mike is a very smart yes. uh, man. And you know, we've had him presented at our, our mayor's caucuses before. So I, I really appreciate his input. I don't mind the target. I don't mind having a goal of what we need as a community. In Brampton, you know, we're probably one of the fastest growing cities in the country. We're one of the number one sources for, you know, newcomers. And I think it's wrong in Canada to say, you know, we want the world to come to Canada, but have no plans for lodging. And so I I do think we we should have a target that is at least consistent with with um, with expected population growth, um, and we we need to be more creative at finding ways to get there. 
Patrick Brown is our guest on Toronto today. Um, crime ends up being a big issue, um, and, and it still is. And you and I have talked about car thefts. We've talked about uh, other issues before, and you're well aware of what's happening in downtown Toronto. We've had some real tragedies. We've lost a lot of police officers in the GTA. One is too many, and we see what's happened in Edmonton and Quebec. So what I see is police chiefs wanting a meeting with the province. I'd make the case, shouldn't they go to the federal government as well? Um, the party you ran for leadership for last year, and you were you were one of the most vocal on this, talking about giving you know police a few more tools in the toolbox to enforce crimes, talking about bail reform. Where does it stand for you? What needs to be done to make us all feel safer in our communities? So it sort of feels like a, a broken record. We keep on asking for the same things. We've got a revolving door justice system. Um, and right now, a lot of people don't worry, don't know, and it would probably worry them if they knew this, but every major city has more calls to 911 than we have officers able to respond. So every day, the chief has to tier which criminal calls he can send an officer to. Mm. And so it's why, generally, you hear there's no officer sent to a break and enter or no officer sent to a car theft because they're working on something that has an immediate danger to, to, to human life. And so to, to be more effective with the, the police resources we have, we can't have the same frequent flyers abusing the justice system. And so that's why bail reform is, is important. You know, I, I had an incident in Peel three years ago, the Henderson-Bellman case, where someone was released on bail five times. On the fifth time, they took the life of their, of their, of their former per, intimate partner. But how does someone who is a threat to the community get released five times? Yeah, yeah, and and th- that's that's been seemingly the pattern. Like, we it, it, are we going to take domestic violence seriously? Or are we just going to talk about it? We see a case here where a Toronto police officer is alleged by other other police that he didn't take a complaint as seriously enough as he should have. And and never mind the fact it's intimate partner violence. That's important enough on its own. That's critical enough on its own. But then they go on to commit other crimes. M- men who hit women are going to do other things besides that. That's that's data. That's the data of it. And the auto theft issue here, uh, you know, is really creating havoc in the system in the sense that the, num- the three biggest sources of revenue for organized crime in Canada are guns, drugs, and auto thefts. Right. But if you get convicted of a gun crime or a drug crime, um, you're doing time. If you get convicted of an auto theft uh, crime, you're not doing time. And so it's really focused a lot of resources of organized crime towards auto thefts, and it's now become this massive revenue tool for organized crime in the country. Organized crime is becoming more profitable, and you know what happens when they have when they have more funds? They buy more guns and more drugs, and so you're seeing the problems in Canada compounded by the fact that we have that we've become the easiest country in the world to source uh, stolen cars from. That's nuts. That's yeah, that's a big issue. Well, we got to keep talking about it. And, and absolutely we will. Um, and uh, again, what, what a great day for Brampton. Hopefully it's a great 11 days and you show yourself off to the world. There's I, I, last I heard, heard there's 38 countries uh, that this is being broadcast in on live television. So um, and, and that's it tells you how far women's sport, women's hockey has come. Uh, it's fantastic. Thanks so much for this. And, and maybe we'll talk again during the tournament. Patrick, appreciate it. Look forward to it. Thank you. OK, Patrick Brown, mayor of Brampton, joining us on Toronto today.